Hello. Hello. Hi. Are you getting feedback? Do I need Hello? to put on some headphones? There we Hello? go. Can you? Yes. Let me get some headphones so that I don't give you feedback. Okay. Be right back. No problem. Alrighty. Can you hear me now? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. How's my um, audio for my voice? It's perfect. Excellent. All right. So before we start, um, I just want to say thank you, Leslie, for accepting my invitation to come on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Do you prefer to go by Desmond or Des? Either one works. <laughs> okay. And also, let me ask... Um, I'd love to send you a copy of one of my books. So if you want to look at either one of my four books, I'd be happy to send you one. Just send me your address and I'll send you one. Sounds good to me. I got you. Cool. So before we begin, how was your day? How's everything going? My day is getting better and better every day in every way. So it was fantastic. That's awesome. That's why I like to hear positivity. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so your first topic is talk about your life story from when you're a childhood all the way up to now oh golly what a journey well <laughs> i was born in the philippines on clark air force base my dad was an airman and my mom was filipino woman and um an important part of that story is is that my mom was a child sex worker uh, due to the incredible poverty that her family, she was one of eight children, had. And so at the age of 15, my grandmother said, either you go work at the local bar or we starve. And of course, my mom had to make that choice. Um, so my mom brought that trauma into her marriage with my dad and my childhood. And so my parents were always fighting. So I grew up in a home of domestic violence, um, verbal abuse. Now my parents didn't directly abuse me or, or anything like that, but there was neglect and that, you know, there was, um, an, a, an environment and an element of pervasive fear and insecurity and lack and distrust of others and even oneself. So I grew up with a lot of my own traumas, um, and insecurities and anxieties and, um, but yet we managed to overcome them. When I was about 10 years old, my family was awarded a Habitat for Humanity home. And so that was the first home without wheels that we ever had. <laughs> <laughs> and we, I, me and my family have one of four, uh, I'm one of four and I have three brothers and we grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood in Orange Park, Florida. And because, you know, we're Asian, it was, you know, 
growing up in a predominantly, you know, person of color, we had white people in our neighborhood. And, and if we did, they were a part of the working poor. So my experience was growing up in the working poor where family struggled and your neighbors, you know, family were dragged out by police officers because they were overdosing on crack. Um, so that's what I grew up with. But the thing is, is that none of that made me hard. It made me compassionate. It made me gentle. It made me even more soft. And the primary reason for that was because I experienced so many people who loved me. Now, it took me a long time up until my adulthood for me to realize how incredibly loved I was. The people who donated all of our gifts at Salvation Army, the people who brought donuts from Dunkin' Donuts when we were building our Habitat house, um, my teachers who mentored me after school and helped me get into college and get grants and scholarships. Scholarships. Um, so there was so many people around me that loved me and I wasn't even their blood. I wasn't even their family. But it took me a long time to realize how loved I was because I didn't feel that I was loved, that mood of I'm unworthy and I don't belong on earth or in places of importance um, and nothing that I say matters or I am of no value. These types of attitudes and premises pervaded my life. And so I grew up, I went to college, I worked my way through the University of North Florida, I studied international affairs, comparative politics and sociology, because I was really interested in, you know, why the world is the way it is. Why do we make the rules the way they are? And, um, you know, how can we make the world a better place? I was really interested in that. And um, I, at 15, found out you know, I heard a message from spirit because I'm very intuitive and, and I sense people's energy. I, I can see what's going to happen sometimes for people. And spirit said, you better learn French because you're going to go to France and you're going to marry a Frenchman someday. And I thought, OK, you know, like, the, <laughs> you know, like an SNL. He's like, cool, cool. So I studied, you know, three years of French in high school and two years in college, minored in it. Um, but I was just short of getting my credits for my minor. And um, I thought, this is baloney. I'm never going to meet this Frenchman. I'm never going to go to France. So I gave up. And then two months later, without even thinking about it, I met him on a website called hotornot.com. Wow. Um, <laughs> and it was love at first sight. <laughs> and so, you know, these were kind of the pivotal moments since experiences of my childhood. And then um, I got married and I moved to France and I experienced the economic crisis, which that really was the impetus of my career as a career and life coach. And I helped so many people through some of the darkest times in their life, unemployment, underemployment, um, economic insecurity, um, feeling valueless, worthless, insecure, um, directionless. I helped a lot of people. And so I was able to gain a lot of tools from that experience and help people in the most vulnerable times in their life. And as a result, I grew a name brand for myself um, and a, a recognition in, in my community and lots of close friendships. I, I feel like if I ever need anything, I don't need money. I try to explain to my clients, you don't need money. Once you realize that you get to a certain point financially, you realize you never actually needed it. What you needed was a community. And right support and connection and a belief in yourself and trust, right? So right. Uh, imagination, most importantly. So um, went through that time, went through it again in Europe. Uh, in 2011, we had another crisis there and helped students there. I, I taught at a business school in France called INSEC. 
and taught Chinese students and Indian students and French students personal and professional development. And it was great, you know, just to see young people in their careers at the very beginning. And now they're all thriving globally. Um, and so one of the most pivotal moments in my life that really lends itself to my books, the subject matter of my books and emotional intelligence is, you know, I had postpartum depression, anxiety with my daughter, um, Harper. And I mean, one day it just hit me. I couldn't get out of bed. I had stomach aches. I had, you know, all sorts of problems. I was just scared. And it got to the point where I looked at my husband one day and imagine I'm in this beautiful apartment in the French Alps, you know, panoramic views of the mountains, you know, um, everything on paper I had successfully, you know, and I looked at my husband and I said, I know why people commit suicide. And you should have seen his face when I said that. But I, right. under I understand that feeling where when you have depression and anxiety, you feel like you're in a glass case and, and that you can't sense any of the good around you. You're just trapped emotionally and mentally and psychologically in this in this state of mind. Um, and it's very paralyzing. So whenever I work with people who have such a condition, I, it's, it's a real thing. Depression isn't something purely imaginal. Now, everything is imaginal, but I mean it in the sense where you don't say to somebody flippantly, oh, it's just your imagination, get over it. No, it's a real psychological experience. Yes, all of our experiences are imaginal, but there are things that greater components of this condition that people have to understand. So I spent nine years learning how to, what I call in my book, engineering your mood. I learned how to engineer your mood. I figured out how people fall into these states. I figured out how you can get out of them. And so I spent, you know, these last nine years working on that and creating this, what I call my, my seminal work um, to help people, you know, create the life that they want to create. And so I did that. And then in 2017, 18, um, I had the premise for my book, The Money Formula, because I was making all these clients of mine very, very rich, multi-million heirs, you know, helping them in every area of business. And I realized, Jesus, I'm not doing this for myself. And I had to deal with my own financial relationship. And I wasn't confident in my own financial re re relationship and had to find a solution for that. So I figured it out. I wrote the money formula, how to change your relationship in seven steps in 15 minutes or less. And I taught myself how to do it, I taught a ton of people how to do it too. And I effectively stopped coaching for a little bit, um, just helping people here and there, a lot of pro bono work um, on the side. And I just focused on myself. So I went to law school uh, just because it was fun. You know, I don't recommend anyone doing law school for fun, but for me, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> now, and when I say fun, I do say that I've had many headaches, tears and sleepless nights. <laughs> of course, and, right. <laughs> <laughs> and fa facing down my own insecurities and limiting beliefs, et cetera, et cetera. But um, and so uh, one day I was for my husband's birthday during the pandemic, I gave my husband flight lessons for his birthday. And we got in this private plane that my friend Jeff um, was teaching. And I'm sitting in the back and we're flying around North County, San Diego, looking at the hills and the beautiful ocean. And, you know, it's just gorgeous, right? And right. I can hear spirit say to me, all of a sudden I'm having this weird psychological shift and spirit, I can hear a spirit of voice say, you never have to worry about money ever again. And um, I'm like, what does that mean? And I just totally was like, okay, cool. 
<laughs> and, and I moved on. And then a year later, my husband's like stressing about something financially. And I, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm tired of hearing him, you know, complain. So I, I started to write down everything that was in our portfolio to quantify it for him at the present moment of which it was worth in the market. And I looked at it and I looked at him and I said, well, you're a millionaire. Now stop worrying and complaining. Just go away. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. Go ahead. <laughs> and I and I and I had to explain to him. I'm like, we invest 56 percent of our income. Like, you're we're fine, you know. But sometimes, and again, now I'm going to tell you, Des. I I know people who've got probably 20 plus million dollars worth of real estate, Tesla X's, or you know, the husbands are you know in the top businesses and in, in tech. And I remember this one time, this woman says to me, she goes. You know, I have a lot of money and I still feel poor. So wow. wealth is a psychological thing. It's a psychological experience, feeling rich, feeling like you've already made it, feeling like you've got it all. And that's what I want to do for everyone in this world is to make you feel like the person you want to be. Whatever it is, I want to help you feel that way because the moment you do, the world begins to organize itself to affirm how you feel. And so that's, that's my story. And that's how I got here. And I'm sticking to it. <laughs> that's right. You definitely have overcome a lot from childhood all the way up to now. You definitely deserve everything that you have. You definitely worked for it. So yeah, it's, it's commitment to your vision, right? Does you have to right. have this vision in your mind and you have to believe that that is your reality. And even if your evidences, your senses deny it, you still have to persist in that assumption that this is who I am. I'm healthy, I'm wealthy, and I'm. Hello? And in one day, it is a promise and that it will come to pass. You will experience that which you assume is true of yourself. That's right. It's all about having the vision. And then once you have the vision, you can start uh, making the plan of what you want to do and then making it reality. Preach. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. So. Your next topic is how does one master emotional intelligence? Emotional intelligence. Ooh, that is that is an elusive thing. I think a lot of people struggle because, you know, one of the questions that I asked us is, do you know how to relax without drugs, sex, alcohol, or distractions? A lot of people will say, no, they don't know how to relax without any of these so-called stimulants or downers. Um so the number one thing I want people to remember is, is that you can do something about your mood. A lot of people have this fear that they can't do anything about how they feel, that they're, they're victim to their moods and their sensations and their experiences. And, that, and because of that, they feel trapped by them. I feel scared or worried. For me, for many years, it was frightened. I feel frightened. Um, and that is based upon premises of our life. These premises, I mean, are statements that we assume are fact. The world is not safe, that there's not enough to go around, that I am unlovable, I am unworthy, that my body is corrupt and will rebel against me. These are the types of statements that we are not even conscious 
of uh, affirming and believing. And so the whole core of emotional intelligence is to first check yourself before you wreck yourself. But more importantly, it's about identifying what are these limiting beliefs and, and false assumptions that I've created about myself, my nature and the world around me and others that I have created that create the rules and the laws of my life. And as a result, I behave in such a way. So if anyone here take this one core thing, it's like, try to always question yourself. Why do I feel this way? What is this feeling saying about my experience? And once you start questioning your thoughts and your feelings, then you're in an active position. You're doing something about how you feel and you're doing something by of what you're thinking by going through a process of inquiry. And you'll realize that a lot of the things that we believe are completely absurd. Voltaire said once that if anyone can believe in absurdity, they will commit atrocities. So it's always important when it comes to emotional intelligence is to allow yourself to be driven and guided by truth. And if you can do that, you will always be able to find your way out of an undesirable mood. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. That definitely sounds um, like it coming from a person who experienced this stuff. So, Oh, yes. <laughs> I tell you what. But the thing is, though, these types of things, these experiences, when you go through them, you just you feel so alone. You feel so, so alone. You feel isolated and that I want to say, if you're listening to this in those moments, reach out and ask for help. Um, because at that moment, you, you, if you don't reach out and ask for help, even if it's, I remember when I had that postpartum depression, I had a nanny, her name is, uh, Laurence and we call her Nunu. It's French for nanny. And, um, she would take my daughter for a few hours and give me time to exercise or get dressed or whatever. And some days it was just so bad. And I would go, and sit at her kitchen table while I'm paying her to watch my daughter. And I would just sit there and sometimes I would just cry. And I didn't even know I was crying. I would just sit there and cry. And she'd make me a cup of tea. She wouldn't talk to me about it. She'd just give me my space. And she would take care of the kids and make their lunch and change their diapers and things. And, and for me, that was enough. And so it's important when you're going through depression or anxiety or any kind of experience, OCD, to reach out and allow people to love you and help you because eventually you will begin to feel that love and that love will, as a light, start to, you know, become that sunshine that, that pushes the dark away. So I'd say find some community, um, start questioning yourself and, and don't isolate yourself for sure. I always feel like a support system is very important, especially during your darkest times in life. That's true, for sure. It's it's a humbling experience. And I think that if anything, um, people who go through dark times um, become much more kinder, gentler, that, that these painful periods of our lives, um, you know, it's what makes us, you know, connected to each other. We all experience sadness or depression or loneliness or insecurity or lack or, you know, whatever. Like I have 200 and something um, moods in my book, Engineering Your Mood. And, and there's a, a whole bunch of undesirable moods that we experience. And guess what? Everybody is able to experience them. And that's what makes us one and whole um, and makes us more loving towards each other. 
That's right. It's nothing wrong with talking, as I like to say, talking to your neighbor. <laughs> That's right. Yep, definitely. You guys, sometimes it's okay to just find me time for yourself. Like, I know it's hard sometimes, especially if you're in a relationship and you have kids and stuff like that. It's hard to do that, but it's something that's a necessity every now and then. Absolutely. Most importantly, when you're having me time, the whole point of me time is to hear your own voice in your head, not right. your, your spouses or your partners or your children or your mom or your dad or your family or your work or your quote friends, whatever, um, or real friends, you know, it's society, whatever influencers, opinions, et cetera, et cetera. But it's really about tuning out so you can tune in. What is, what is your real voice trying to tell you? That is the source of all solutions and the direction for your life. And once you get that me time and that that mental space to truly hear your own voice, you're in the zone. You, you've got something there. You tapped in and turned on. That's right, because you definitely don't want to tune out your own voice because it can get crowded amongst other voices and easily be lost. So Exactly. The one thing I find interesting in life is that a stranger will support you more than your loved ones sometimes. And oftentimes I think about like I never understood that. (laughs) Well, I think, you know, Neville Goddard said this. Um, He's a great mystic. And um, he said that God plays all the parts. And I, I like to think that he believes is that, you know, God is you know, that power, that light, that intelligence, that moving, animating uh, life force in every single one of us. Um, And it's motivating us, it's moving us. And that intelligence pervades all of us. And so sometimes your family, for example, might cast you out. Um, But a stranger on the side of the road might give you a hand, you know, it's, I'll give you a story just recently. Um, Oh, one day I was studying for law school. My husband's working from home. And all of a sudden I just felt so agitated. I had to get up and get out of the house. And I go downstairs and I go to the garage and I look at my husband who's at the table in our living room. And I say, I'm going for a walk. And and I'm, and I don't say it nicely. I go, I'm going for a walk now. You know, I, I'm just, mm-hmm. I, I'm, th- I'm thinking to myself, why am I being such a beep to my own husband, you know? Right. <laughs> but if he looks at me, <laughs> he looks, you know, he looks at me, but he's he's been married to me long enough to know, to trust me. So he gets up and he, he comes with me right away. So we're walking out of the house and we live next to a nature preserve and there's a church across this bridge in the nature preserve. And, and a lot of homeless people like to hide behind it and they'll do drugs or they'll, I mean, we've seen people getting it on back there. I mean, the, you know, but for me, it doesn't bother me because I grew up again, I grew up in, in poverty and working poor. So seeing homeless people doesn't bother me at all. They're just, you know, they're my neighbors. Right. So right. we see a group of them bickering and fighting a man and two women. And, you know, they're, you know, homeless people fight sometimes over drugs or money or whatever. And then I'm just like, okay, whatever. I look at them and and we go up the hill, the other side, go left instead of right. And we walk our bulldog and our multi-poo up the street. And we go up the hill and we come back down and we're going to continue going in an opposite direction. But I see that the two women who were with the man are scrambling away and the man is laying on the ground and he's not moving. And I Mm. look at, 
I look at him and I look at my husband and I said, we need to go check on him right now. And we need to call the police. We need to call 911. It's more important. Um, we need help. And so my husband goes to him and I go to him. And, you know, this woman, one of the homeless ladies was speaking to him in Spanish and she was just kind of circling him and the other lady completely bailed. But then eventually the other one, she left too. Um, and so my, I and Frank, my husband, we call, you know, emergency services and we say, there's this man here and he's not breathing. He's convulsing and he's not breathing and he's turning mm. color. And, um, I said to my husband, you're going to have to give him chest compressions. You're going to have to um, jumpstart him so that way he can start to breathe again and get that circulation going. So I run to the side of the road on the opposite side of the parking lot where the church is so that way the firefighters can see me. So I'm standing on the side of the road. I flag them down and my husband's doing chest compressions of it. I can send you a picture of it. I took a picture of it just for memories. Um, okay. And so he, my husband's able to jumpstart him and, and the fire department come and, and he's awake by the time that they're, they're assisting him. And then the police officers come and there was a woman police officer and they wanted us to back off. So we backed off and the woman police officer screams at the man, you almost died. And it turns out he had overdosed and they wanted to give him some nar narcon, narcon, no, narcon. I don't know the word of it. All my doctor friends know, but it's, gotcha. it's to help them in the, to prevent an overdose. So he, he's like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. He walks like 50 feet and then he collapses. So they, they have to take him in and, and give him medical care. But I know for a fact that if it wasn't for that agitation that I had felt, that guiding spirit that I feel is connected to that man and my husband and the fire department and the police officers, that spidey sense, that tingly feeling inside of me that directed me at that time, that moment, time and space to go keep an eye on this guy and help him. And, and the weirdest thing was, Des, is that my husband says, you know what's funny is that two weeks ago, I just got this random feeling to go on YouTube and look at CPR videos. Wow. I, I'm just like, what made you <laughs> want to do that? He's like, I don't know, maybe just for kids. Uh, you know, he's like, I thought, well, you know, because he volunteers at our kid's school. He's like, well, maybe if a kid chokes, maybe I'd learn. But then I just got, he got caught in the algorithm and, and learned how to do CPR. <laughs> <laughs> and so so when i say god plays all the parts i mean that there's a force and there's this intelligence this love that unifies and connects us all and will activate us to assist and come to each other's aid and so you know to to bring that point home is is that if all of us have that intuition and that intuition connects us all follow it trust it and it will guide you into the right direction because we can help each other, you know, even when your own family or friends or whoever can't, that someone will if you just, you know, allow other people to come into your life and love you. But that's more important is that you have to allow people to love you because we can't get through this life alone. It's just it's just not a part of who we are and, and our nature. I totally agree. That was an interesting story. And I feel like like you said, God sometimes puts you in positions you don't know you're being put into till it happens. Like, oh, this is what I'm here for. Okay. 
Exactly. Right. You walk in, it's like kind of like Forrest Gump, you know what I mean? It's like, he just goes <laughs> through all these experiences that are pinnacle and, and, and yet he plays his part. And that's what, what I say. And I don't mean God, some external God that's judging you. I mean, God, like that universal love that's in presence and power and all of us that guides us and protects us and, and animates us and gives us life in this, in light in this world. I mean that we all share this and that's why we're all family. We're all one, you know, one love, you know what I mean? I, I don't think that that's cliche. I honestly think that's the that's the universal law. I think that's the truth. I totally agree. And I feel like God puts us on this earth to find purpose and we all have a roles to play. So. That's right. Yeah. We're all playing our parts. The question is, what role do you want to play? <laughs> that's right. And sometimes it's a role you're you. It's unexpected. Like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> that's right. Just enjoy it. Trust your experiences. That's right. So your next topic, talk about your college experience and what did it teach you? Uh, college, man, I had a lot of fun for sure. Um, an undergrad had just so much fun, meeting so many people. I think the most important thing is like for college and as a career coach who's coached college students and taught college students, network your butt off, make as many friends as possible, be likable, love people, you know, learn from people. Um you know, help people when they're down, most importantly, and listen to them, learn from them. Um, I have a lot of great relationships from college, even still I'm dating myself, but even 17 years later, you know, I, I just went the a few weeks ago to see a college buddy of mine who lives in Florida, and I went to go see him. Um, and so I would say if you're in college, definitely network. I studied uh, international affairs, comparative politics. I thought, you know, counterterrorism, uh, post-terrorism age, um, in global economics and uh, globalization. That was very important to me. I thought that was really interesting. So I met a lot of people in that world. Um, and that helped me in my career. Obviously, I lived in France, went through Europe. I work with the people in India. I work with people in the Middle East, um, South America, Canada. So that experience was just like, wow, you know, there's so many cultures and people and ways of doing things. You know, the the Islamic financial system is different from the American financial system. Uh, you know, they don't have um, interest rates, so they do things differently. Um, so if, I'd say for anybody who's listening, you know, when you are in college, you got to just learn as much as possible, but follow your bliss in a way. Do the things that interest you, that turn you on and get you going, because I remember I, w I was thinking about doing dentistry and getting a my, uh, bachelor's in biology to do dentistry. And I, that first semester of biology lab, I was falling asleep. Oh, I, no. I just couldn't. I couldn't <laughs> handle it. I mean, I, I literally was in the lab. And it's so weird because the lab, the lab um, assistant or professor, whatever he, he was, he was he was so nerdy. But God, he was just for some odd reason, so attractive. I just thought it was so cute. He's like Big Bang Theory. You know what I mean? I was like mm -hmm. Penny. I was like Penny in a Big Bang Theory, right? And um, he was just—he <laughs> was so cute. That's probably the only thing I remember from uh, from biology lab. And I was like, you know what? I got to do—I got to do something that's better for me. So I chose international affairs, um, and I had so much fun. It was so great. So do the things that are worthy. And and the thing is, is that for me, I don't share that experience with a lot of people who go to college and are like, I didn't get my money's worth. Or I didn't learn a damn thing. No, I learned so much. I enjoyed every class. Class, even the classes that, you know, the professors were giving me C's. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I learned everything. I, I studied real estate principles. And from that class, I was able to get a real estate license. And then I got this great job um, with Red Door Realty Group in Jacksonville. And, and my boss then is now one of my best friends. So it's like, follow your bliss. Uh, allow yourself to learn. Do things that do things. Just do them all. I mean, I was a forklift operator in Walmart. Um, I used to hold signs on the side of the road before the profession of professional sign holder was a thing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I would clean houses. I did girls nails. Um, You know, I just did all sorts of stuff. And but that's good because you meet people from all walks of life and enjoy every experience. And even if it's not sexy or cool, or if you're making minimum wage or even if it's a tough experience, I remember having, you know, 60 cents in my bank account. Um, but that those experiences definitely set you up for for more, more good stuff if you allow it to to be a positive experience for you. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And the crazy thing is, in most situations, when you first start out your college experience, you think you're going for one thing and you end up taking a whole other course and you would like it more. That's the craziest thing. Yeah. You just got to be open to the detours, uh, you know what I mean? And the off routes, like you just never know. It's like follow your bliss, you know, allow yourself to be fully expressed and allow people into your life to guide you and teach you for sure. Like, I think if you go into any kind of educational experience, just pretending like you don't know anything um, and you allow people to educate you and fill you with insight and wisdom to help you ease in the pain or shorten the trajectory of success or whatever. I think that you're off a lot better off for that. Yeah. It's all about learning and teaching each other. That's how you grow as a person and as a community. So for sure, for sure. So your next topic, you kind of been talking about this throughout the episode. Um, Is there anything else you want to add about any of your four books that you wrote? Gosh, well, which one interests you the most? Did you did did you see any of them? Because I want to speak to you about anything that that perks your interest. Um, I try to look at a couple things because I'm often busy between working and being a father, too. So I didn't get a chance to sit down and read anything. So. Yeah. Okay. No worries. So you're a dad. How many kids do you have? Two boys, nine and six, but they act like they're uh, 15 and 10. Nine and six. So I have a eight year old and soon to be a 10 year old. So I'm in that same kind of thing, a a girl and a boy. So, so I would say in your situation, I'd talk about my book, Engineering Your Mood, because the thing about kids is, is that they don't know how to uh, control their feelings. They experience these big feelings. And because of that, they erupt or they'll withdraw. And um, one of the things I like to say, because I I sit in a school board for kids from TK to eight. And one of the most important things I like to teach kids is one, one simple thing. I always say, who's in control of your mood? And the most important thing that kids should learn is that I am, I'm in control of my mood. And that means nobody outside of you, your parents, your friends, your teachers, or anybody else has the ability to control what you think and what you feel. You can change it. If you don't like it, you can change it. And so that gives children a lot of power 
over their emotional and psychological state. And the most important thing is to teach a child how to turn their attention away from what seems to be the stimulus. Somebody's hurting me or somebody called me something nasty or I'm being ignored by my teacher um, or my parents are not giving me what I want. <laughs> um, and it's, it's to say, you know, you can control what you feel and you can direct your attention and your imagination to the experience that you actually want. So visualization with kids is key. And I teach that in my book, Engineering Your Mood, is, for example, with my kids, my son, he have a rough day, right? And I'll say to him, right, right, right before bed, say, go back into every one of your experiences from today, the ones that are not nice, the ones that are not great, the ones where maybe your friend bully you, or they tagged you out or they broke the rules or they tattled on you or whatever. And I say, go back and change them. Change the memory. Close your eyes and replay the experience in a way that satisfies you, that makes you feel like justice was complete and delivered. And that really seems to help kids because it allows them to go into their own psychological experience and to rewrite it. Now, I'm not saying pretend that the thing never happened. I'm just saying you get to control how you feel about your memory. Nobody else. You do. And that can be similarly seen to EMDR um, type therapy. But it really is just a really simple exercise for children at the end of the day to allow them to change how they feel and have agency over their own experience in life. Right. Uh, like I, I tell my kids all the time, like, if you want to talk about anything, my door is always open. Come talk to me. Express how you're feeling about anything. Don't be afraid. <laughs> That's great. You're really helping your kids because a lot of children feel like their parents don't want to hear what they have to say or their emotions or their feelings or their experience isn't valid um, and it's not important. So I think what you're doing is great with your kids. I try my best. <laughs> Raising kids these days are different from when we grew up. So, Oh, yes. Every day is a new world. Imagine some people have left and some people have come in and rules and laws have changed and people have moved and, and your bodies have, you know, changed. Their cells have died and some have been born again. I mean, every day is a brand new life, a brand new experience. So, you know, it's true when you say that yesterday is, is not different from today, but it's it's what gives me hope because that means tomorrow can be some, something completely different from yesterday. That's how I look at life every day. It's like tomorrow's a new day. If you had a bad day, you don't have to carry it over to the next day. Opportunity to grow as a person, to learn something, to teach someone is a lot. Amen. <laughs> That's all I can say. Amen. <laughs> I love that. I'm so glad. That's really how you have to look at it. <laughs> for sure for sure i think that you know i always tell my husband something very personal you know i say either you choose to really truly be yourself and express yourself and, and ultimately be happy because that's what we all are we're happiness incarnate that's what i think it's either you do that or you die because if not you'll just shrivel up 
you'll withdraw from the world you'll begin to you know become decrepit and you know be sad and alone and it's it's either this or die and i choose life that's right you only get one life you get one body that's it <laughs> that's right so make the most of it that's right so your next topic is how does one run a successful business and brand yourself in the same breath? Run a successful business and brand yourself in the same breath. Well, that kind of goes to my two books. It pays to be you, um, the coaching one and the career job search workbook. I teach you how to do it step by step in the career and job search workbook. And it's ultimately what I call the four C's. The four C's are developing and increasing your consciousness, your creativity, your confidence, and your connectivity. So your consciousness is increasing your own self-awareness, looking at your own limiting beliefs, taking inventory of your positive qualities, your transferable skills, those things that make you inherently valuable, looking at that, increasing your consciousness. The second step is increasing your creativity, using your imagination, allowing yourself to address your feelings, to get to the roots of self-sabotaging behaviors, changing your attitudes and your habits, and learning to use your mind in a constructive way, your imagination, that television screen in your mind, learning to attune that to positive imagery of success. Then it is um, confidence, boosting your confidence in yourself, believing in yourself, trusting yourself, you know, increasing your own sense of value. Then connectivity, taking everything you've learned by increasing your consciousness, your creativity and confidence, and then developing tools. How do you express yourself? Those are your professional marketing tools, your resume, your website, your portfolio, a gist card, which is like a summary of your experiences and your offering, your cover letter, learning how to develop a story that best aligns you with the right people for you. Because guess what? We only need one job. We only need one group of people who can help us and we can help them. So the odds are always in our favor professionally and business-wide. And so I teach people how to do that in the job search and career change workbook with the It Pays to Be You. It's on Amazon and it's, it's a good, good price for what it is. Um, it's about $45 on Amazon and it's step by step by step. And each um, section of the four C's has activities, 15 minutes or less, sit down and just think about it. I ask you the questions. They're like softball questions. They're so easy. Think about what I ask you, write it down, take note, and you build this story, this experience. And before you know it, you've aligned yourself with the people who care about you, who want what you have to offer, who will look out for you, who will mentor you, who will pull you up in the organization, who will talk about you in a room full of opportunities. So that's my strategy. I've helped so many people um, go from absolutely nothing, broke or in debt to multimillionaires with you know brands that are sold across America 
And I stand by everything in that book. I really truly mean that this it's a it's a map, a roadmap of success. It's a guidebook to help you develop your career. So the four C's, your consciousness, your creativity, your confidence, and connectivity. If you can master those, increase them and master them, you can align yourself with the right opportunities, almost like magic. Man, you said a mouthful. <laughs> I sure did, baby. <laughs> I sure did. <laughs> oh, man, this is awesome. <laughs> Good. <laughs> oh, man. But yes, it is definitely important to also have a work and life balance, too. Yes, absolutely. Um, I feel like a lot of people who struggle with their business, they struggle to find that balance. So. Oh, yeah. I think it's important, though, to really make sure that those things that you love to do that turn you on and get you going, you're doing those things. I, I have friends who have owned businesses or retired, and they, their complaint was always, I'm too busy working on my business and working in my business or working in my business to work on my business. So it's important to always uh, prioritize, you know, reevaluating your business and your efficiency and your productivity. I think productivity is important um, and measuring that is key. So that way, you know, you're not wasting your energy and your imagination on things that are, you know, enriching you. It's, it's like I told you before, I was making so many people rich and I was doing all of this and, and I wasn't doing it for myself. And the second that I said, you know what, I'm not going to, I had over 250 clients at the time actively. So I was very, very busy, but I was thinking of everybody else's problems and their solutions. And I wasn't really doing it for myself. So it's like going back to our earlier conversation about getting into your own head and hearing your own voice, making time to do that. So that way you can really go, okay, I'm wasting my time for this. I should be prioritizing that and really start making decisions because the, I say in my book, engineering your mood, the moment you make a decision, that's when God acts. That's when the world begins to conform itself to your command. And so it's important when you're prioritizing and looking at your schedule, you make the decisions. You got to make the calls. You can't be indecisive. You can't procrastinate. You got to make the calls, make the decisions. But the moment you do, life starts really working out for you and doing what you want it to do. Yeah, it's like creating a video game, like you're the programmer, you're the master, you control every step, everything going on. Yeah, that's a very good metaphor for that. My son would love that. He's a big Fortnite fan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell him that right uh, as, after this call. I'm going to say, you know what? I heard something really cool today. <laughs> like, what did you hear, mom? It better be cool. Don't be, don't lie to me. <laughs> I say, you know what? Listen to Des's podcast. You can hear all that truth right there for real. That's, that's some good stuff no, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly that. You're the programmer. You program what you believe, but a lot of us, talking to that point a lot of us are programmed with false assumptions false beliefs and so the the journey of developing and increasing your emotional intelligence is to deprogram yourself and really choose what programs you want to live with and, and i'll add this one just for fun that um jose silva 
the creator of the Silva method. I highly recommend you buying all the books on Audible and, and on Amazon. That's just such a great program. But he had this thing at the end of a, an exercise. He would say, wide awake and feeling great. So before I'd go to bed, I would say to myself, because there was periods where I'd, I kind of just wasn't really motivated in the morning. I mean, to get up and do all the stuff I do, but there's just this period where I was just kind of like, blah, right? We all have that kind of time in our life. Right. And I would say, I took that from Jose Silva and I said, okay, when I wake up, right before I went to bed, I'd program myself, almost like self-hypnosis. And I would say, I'm going to wake up wide awake and feeling great, wide awake and feeling great at exactly six in the morning. And I would do that. And lo and behold, every day I hear in my head, I'm wide awake and I'm feeling great. And I get up and I'm just so excited about everything I'm going to do because I have the best life and that living itself is its own reward that I get up and I do all the things that I got to do. Sometimes to my detriment because I get so excited I don't eat breakfast. But, mm -hmm. <laughs> but <laughs> I never miss a cup of coffee. <laughs> Of course not. It's very important for most human beings. <laughs> oh, man. Can't forget that cup of joe. That's right, baby. You got to have it any which way you like it. Drip, right. espresso, whatever. Keurig, whatever your mojo is, you got to get it. <laughs> That's right. Something to go wake you up and start your day, man. That's right. Best part of waking up, right? <laughs> That's right. That that cup that folders in your cup, man. That's right. I mean, we should have just sang it. Dang. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, totally agree. So your last topic is talk about the different clientele that you interact with in America and Europe. Okay. So the clientele that I work with is I have a few a few different segments of clientele. One of them is high net worth families. Um, these are people with net worths of more than $3 million. Um, and these are usually self-made millionaires. They're entrepreneurs. And these are people who've come from nothing and have built for themselves quite a fortune. Very, very fortunate people, humble people, successful people. Um, and yet they have children. And because they had been working for much of their career, they didn't really have that time to build not to say not a connection because their children absolutely love them and adore them, but it's like they didn't have enough time to develop emotional intelligence skills or they had like a family trauma. And in order to kind of just get through it, they just survived and they really didn't talk about the trauma, like a divorce or a death or some kind of situation, right? So right. I work with families like that, um, helping their children get out of depression or helping them get motivation, go to college, helping the whole family increase their communication skills, emotional intelligence skills. Um, and that's a service where I go for anyway, anywhere from like three days to seven days. Um, and we do intensive uh, retreats, one-on-ones and group sessions as a family. So that's one of the segments that I work with. The other one is I work with subject matter experts, people who have impressive careers, who 
you know, should are on CNN, you know, people who are in international organizations and like they're experts, top five in the whole world, right? For any kind of um, type of expertise, energy, um, entertainment. I work with them, singers and performers and people on television. I work with people in the um, movie industry, uh, big, big names, um, probably movies you've seen and love. And I help these individuals who might be at a crux in their career or are about to work on a project that is massive and they need somebody on their side to help them stay grounded, centered, not to spin out into, you know, stress or using drink, drinking or, you know, isolation, these types of things. So I help them manage their moods during stressful, big, high stakes projects or helping subject matter experts reposition themselves in the market and get them on CNN or get them in the right places or PR, those types of things. Um, and then the other group is um, corporations, organizations that want to increase their productivity, their organizational happiness, improve their culture. So I go in and I'll work with uh, VPs, HRs, um, and helping people improve that. Because if you can improve your happiness, you can improve your imagination, you can improve your ideation, your productivity, your communication, all of these things start to create synergy and improve culture. And that culture creates this employer brand. And that makes the employer much more, you know, attractive to high level, intelligent workers. And I don't necessarily mean like the top of the top employees. I mean, just regular people too. You know, you need people to sweep floors and you need people to maintain facilities and take boxes and things like that and keep those people for a very long time. So you're reducing uh, turnover. So those are the types of organizations and individuals that I work with. I'm on a project basis. So I don't just work with people because they have this one problem. It's really like, Tell me what you want to do, and I will help you achieve that by emotional intelligence and imagination and, and communication means. Um, and that's really where I stand on kind of like being on the team of, of a group or a board or an executive or a business owner is being a part of that team to help them succeed. That's awesome. Now, I'm sure all your clients value your opinion definitely because you have a lot to bring to the table oh for sure and sometimes you just need somebody to hand you your ass you know somebody to just tell you how it is and to tell you to get your you know head where the sun doesn't shine sometimes you just need somebody to real talk with you and to call you out you know and and people who are in um, higher positions they seem to feel alone or they feel like people are not just necessarily authentic or genuine with them and so i'm like the only person in the room who's like does anyone see the you know the emperor without his clothes is ridiculous why are you acting like this why are you thinking this is is this makes no sense whatsoever. So sometimes it's good to be that person who is kind of like, no, that doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? And that right there is such a value because in high stakes world, there's a lot of yes men out there because they're like, oh, okay, right. yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, that sounds great. No, no, it doesn't sound great. It's a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Are you listening to what they're saying? Come on. Yeah, do you hear yourself? I mean, sometimes I do have to say that. Do you hear yourself? Think about this. Say it out loud. And sometimes I have to repeat it back. So this is what you're saying, right? No, looking at them. So, but in doing so, it reduces risk, investment risk, most importantly, um, but also litigation, reducing the risk of lawsuits, um, you know, 
public relation problems, uh, turnover, you know, these types of things. So, you know, there is a benefit sometimes to somebody kind of pulling you back off from the cliff and saying, don't jump. <laughs> don't do it. Come on now. Trying to save you. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> I try to give you all the advice I can. Come on. You got to listen to me at some point. Exactly. Or, you know, you got to meet the consequences of your choices, you know, and at that at that point, you know, it's there's real no value for me at that point. But, you know, I, I do feel that sometimes just being so honest to somebody and really just being a, a mirror to them, letting them hear themselves is is so, so, so valuable because then you realize, you know, that doesn't sound that great after all. I don't think I'm going to do that. <laughs> Nah, after all, that doesn't sound good. I'm going to be a no man today. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But you know what, though? The thing in coaching is, is this is something that I've said to some of my clients, especially, you know, the clients with um, children, because um, they want their kids to do something, move out of a home or go to college or get a job, you know, things like that. You know, <laughs> They don't want their kid to be a trust fund baby. Right. So. Right. And I, I, I'd like to joke, although this is kind of the reality of coaching is, is that you have to make your client feel that what you're proposing is their idea and that they came up with it. <laughs> so when they realize, oh yeah, that's a good idea. You know, and I came up with it, they're more willing to do it. So that's the, that's the, the critical message I could say, if anyone wants to coach is like, you got to be a mind Jedi. You got to get that client to think that what, what is best for them is their idea and that they came up with them. Like you're their conscience speaking to them. Yes. I'm at Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, you know what conscience you're right. Absolutely. <laughs> <That's so funny. laughs> Just being honest. <laughs> That's right. Honesty, right? It's the best policy. And I don't mean like frankness or rudeness or just saying whatever spouts out of your ego. I, I really mean like allowing yourself to be guided by truth. And, and in doing so, you can never fail. You cannot get hurt because truth is that which liberates. Truth is that which sets you free. Truth is that which is protects you. So always orient your mind and your attention towards the truth. Seek after it. Feel after it. And wherever it leads you, it'll always be good. Right. Because you'll sit there at the end of the day like, well, well, damn, that person was right. They were just looking out for me. That's right. That's right. You have more friends than you could even imagine. That's one of my favorite things to do. I'll be sitting in my car in, you know, San Diego traffic. And I just, I love to imagine that there are people in the world, best friends of mine, people who love me that I've never even met, who are dreaming about me and waiting for me to come into their life. And that is one of the most wonderful things to imagine when you ain't got nothing else to do. That's right. Once you come into their life, that music hit. Oh, here. <laughs> <laughs> vice versa vice versa you know i just i love people you gotta just you ha in this business you gotta love people even when people are just trifling i mean for real when people are just like acting a fool and all sorts of stuff and you're just like you know what even though you act this way i love you anyway um and to feel that love pervading through your entire body and your mind and your experience it, it, it's the best drug in the world happiness and laughter i mean you can't get anything better than that for real that's right, man. What's the point of being sad and mad every day? It's like you go through life like that. It's pointless. Like, why are you alive? 
Exactly. You know what? And also sad and mad, they have biological components. Uh, the book Bio uh, Biology of Belief um, shows us by Dr. Bruce Lupton. He says, you know, if you start to think negative thoughts and feelings, they start to create a neuro um, biology. It starts to change your chemistry and you begin to poison yourself. So Chinese medicine speaks specifically to this, but that's a 4,000 year old art, but it's so important to remember that every thought you think has a chemical reaction in your body. So therefore choose wisely. What kind of cocktail chemical cocktail you want to create each day. It better be a good one. Dopamine, serotonin, you know, happiness, happiness, create it, think it, feel it, live it. That's right. Live your life, live free. <laughs> live free or die hard. <laughs> hey, preach. Oh, my goodness. I'm glad I'm doing this episode. <laughs> Yay. I was so glad when you reached out to me. I was like, I just knew. I just had that feeling. I was like, this is the right thing. I'm going to do it. And I liked listening to your other episodes. They were really good, too. So thank you very, very, very much. I'm glad. Now, um, at this point of my pod, I always turn it over to my guests. And you can ask me any question that you want. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> You should have seen my hands. I was like Mr. Burns like from the Simpsons. Oh, yes. Excellent. Um, no, I, I want you to tell me because this is the thing that I love to do for people. I want you to tell me what your dream is. And I'm going to help you on my side after this episode. Imagine that you've achieved it. What's your dream? Tell me a dream. Oh, man. So my dream is to run my own sneaker slash clothing business. Okay. And tell me, tell me what that would feel like. Go into an, uh, an imaginal experience. I'm there with you. Tell me what it sounds like, what it feels like, what it smells like. Where are you? Um, just go through that. It, paint a picture for me. Well, definitely. First off, it would definitely feel awesome. The taste, hmm, the taste would probably be like, some favorite Mexican food that I like. That'll be how it would taste. The vision, uh, it'll be in a big building around a bunch of people who are loving and caring, who want to succeed as much as I do. Um, just a lot of a lot of happy energy. Um, everybody's very balancy. Everybody's just thankful to see another day. All that put together, man. Okay. So that right there, what you just did, that's what, that's what it is that I help people do. I help them get into the wish fulfilled. You got to go into your fulfilled wish and you have to live it imaginally. I'm not talking about just thinking about it. I mean, feel it from within the inside, go through that visceral experience inside your body. And I want you to live it every day, right before you go to sleep, not even a minute, just 30 seconds, a minute, 45 seconds. I want you to just play that scene in your mind that affirms to you that I am a business owner. I, I am a purveyor of fine shoes and, and vetements, as the French people say, that I have happy customers, that I've got good business partners, that I've got a great lease or a, a shop somewhere in a fantastic part of town. I want you to convince yourself to assume the reality that you are who you say you are and to believe it without fail. 
And that's what you're going to do. That's going to be your exercise until it happens. And if you truly believe in that dream, and I will imagine that for you going forward, whenever I have a spare chance and when you pop in my mind, I'm going to imagine that for you. And that's how I'm going to, by extension, help you achieve that just by imagining that and affirming that as your reality, no matter what, no matter where, no matter when, if even if we don't talk to each other ever again, I will do that for you. That's a promise. I appreciate it. That definitely means a lot. Ah, you're welcome. But do that exercise every day, right before bed, anything you want, whether it's, you know, to pay a bill or to get a job or to whatever. And there's, you know, more love in your life, you know what I mean? More friendship, whatever. Do it right before you go to sleep and convince yourself that this is your life. This is your experience and this is your reality. And that what you experience in imagination, what you experience in your mind will project itself in the reality around you into your three-dimensional experience. That is the truth. That is the law. And it will have to come to pass. The world will adjust and conform itself to meet and to conform to your expression and to your own nature. And that is to be a purveyor of good shoes and clothes and create an experience in the retail sector. So good for you. That's a wonderful and worthy dream. I appreciate it because I also already have uh, merch for my podcast as well, too. So, yeah, get get it on, get it on, get it, whatever, man. You imagine that you're on Joe Rogan and Joe Rogan's like, how'd you do it, man? And he's high as all get out. And you're going to be like, Joe, it's from not being high all the damn time. That's what it is. <laughs> I'm high on I'm life, just- Joe. I'm high on that's life. Right. <laughs> that's right. That's all it takes, man. You just put it down. It's okay. <laughs> I'm high on life. That's how I did it. I got high on life. And that's really what I want people to do. Just get high on life every day. You are alive on this speck of dust on a beam of light in the universe, baby. Wow. What an incredible experience. That's right. That's what it's about, man. Like, I love your energy, man. I love the positivity. I wish I could bottle it up because I would be the richest woman on the planet. Lord Emperor Jeff Bezos, he would bow at my feet. <laughs> That's right. You be going in his face and studying him. <laughs> no, but for real. I mean, I really wish I could. This feeling of just, you know, bliss and joy and and, and superfluence. And I, when I mean superfluence, I mean I got more than enough that I have to just give it away. And I want to give that to everybody. And, and I and I want people to allow me into their lives so I could do that because it really is, this is the essence of living. Honestly, you don't need anything else. You don't need the house or the car or the money. I mean, those things are all great and wonderful. But um, what you need is just to feel so good and to share that feeling with everybody else and to create mutual experiences where you're happy and you're enjoying where you are and the wealth of life and being. I want everyone to have that. Yeah, that's a, it's the best thing to have in life because I feel like so many people fall in love with materialistic things. They forget them about the substance of things in life. That's right. You know, I'll quote Neville Goddard again. He said, so many people in life wish to have the thing created rather than the power to create. And I think if we do chase the material things, if we do chase those things, they will never satisfy us. But if you 
embody and are aware of and can use and harness and direct your power to create your imagination and control of your mood. You can have and be and do whatever you want. I could, I, we could sit here for 10 hours and I could tell you stories of all the things I've manifested just by using my imagination. And I teach people how to do it. You don't need money. You just have to harness your power to create. So read my book. I'll send you one and, um, and, you know, do it, practice it, live it, be it, have it. You have all the things in the world. You want a super yacht? You want to go to the South of France? Go for it. This is, this is life. Have it all. You know, it's in the words of Auntie Mame, this famous movie. She says, life's a banquet and most poor bastards are starving to death. Eat, live, enjoy. I like that line right there. I like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so before we end this is there any last message you would like to leave is there anything new you have coming up in the future also would you like to share your social media handles as well okay so um join the conversation i have a forum on my website called leslieinc.org i don't have instagram because it's it does nothing for me. I used to have it. had like eight, 9,000 followers. It just doesn't do anything for me. Um, so I have a LinkedIn. You can find me, Leslie Juvenacare, on LinkedIn. Connect with me. Post lots of fun things. But go to my website. Why? Because I have resources for you. I have um, a series called Valuable Insights. Eight hours of footage of me coaching a young man named Daniel Beavers who called me, who was in Texas, and he was – almost suicidal. He was suicidal. He was frightened. He was terrified. And he, one day, I'm going to talk about God plays all the parts. He goes to a barber and he randomly blurts out his struggles and his suffering and his fear and his torment. And this barber says, I know who you need to talk to. And it was one of my clients. So she referred him to me and he called me and he told me a story. And I, and I said, you're not, you're not crazy. You're intuitive. I'm going to teach you how to master it. So uh, four days later, this kid from Dallas, Texas, got on a plane, came to my house, stayed with me for seven days for free. I didn't charge him anything. I picked him up at the airport, gave him food, gave him a home, and let him spend time with my family. Again, perfect stranger. And I coached him. And uh, the fruit of that is valuable insight. And you watch it. And you watch this kid. He's a young man, handsome man, funny man. And he, he goes from absolutely disoriented to oriented for success. And he's thriving. He's great now. This is about a year or so later. Um, so watch that series, Valuable Insight, on my website, leslieinc.org. You can see my series, Drive, where I interview people in action sports industry, um, talk about emotional intelligence and, and the executive world. And then I have a podcast. It's an old one, but it's got lots of great episodes, the State of Happiness podcast. And, you know, you have the forums. Come and talk about my books. Ask me questions. Talk with other people. I just created it. It's brand new. It's a place for people to just get together so they don't feel alone. Also, have my books. Order my books on Amazon. Go to my website. Take a look at it. Um, I put a lot of resources out there for people that are affordable, um, there's the Money Formula Academy for, I think it's like $59. You can join a, a workshop that I did in Brooklyn, New York. It's a diverse group of people. And I teach how to overcome your limiting financial beliefs. So I have tons of resources that are very affordable on my website. And um, just join the conversation. You're not alone. You're very much love. You have friends in the world that you don't even know 
love you. Open yourself up. Let the world love you. Let love in. Let it flow through you. Um, and reach out. Tell me what you think of this episode. I'd love to know. And I'm and I'm very happy to share this podcast with everybody. And I look forward to your success, Des. Oh, I appreciate it so much. And before we end this, I actually followed you on LinkedIn earlier before starting this episode. Oh, yes. And I think I sent a uh, connection request. So accept that. Yeah, (laughs) I definitely will. Definitely will. Son told me like, oh, I'm like, I've been looking like, does she have any social media now? I saw LinkedIn. I was like, okay. Yeah, I'm on there. I mean, that's where my 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 people are. It's, I do business there and I get a lot of clientele and opportunities. So, you know, I kind of orient myself towards that market. But um, definitely come and join me at my website, leslink.org or LinkedIn and, and join the conversation. Always try to bring happiness at work and at the home. Yes, everybody, please follow her. She has a lot of great advice for you guys. You want to grow. You want to do anything in your life, put your mind to listen to this woman. I'm telling you. Uh, thank you, Des. I appreciate that. No problem. Um, once I post this episode, I'm going to send it to you. So, Thank you so, so much. You're welcome. Um, once again, I just want to say thank you for accepting my invitation to come on the pod. I appreciate it so much. I appreciate you and be blessed be overjoyed. I hope your family is successful in every way. I always like to say better and better every day and every way. And that's not me. That's Emil Kue. Um, So I just wish you all the best. Thank you so, so much. You too. I wish you none but the best as well. And have a great rest of the week ahead. I will, baby. Guaranteed. (laughs) (laughs) Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.